We're going to continue on in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. So if you will uh, turn with me there. So if you're new or if you uh, haven't been caught up and this is the first one you're hearing, you can go to YouTube and search Renewal and subscribe. And then you can hear all the back uh, episodes of the things that last, okay? It's a great sermon series, and there are some great speakers, not me, but some other ones that are great, okay? Jason Gish was here last week, and so that was a blessing for us. Awesome to hear him. Also, you can go to our um, website, renewalchurch.net. That's renewalchurch.net, and pick it up as well. So here we go. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write... The same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Father God, just thank you for your amazing grace as you continue to guide and direct us, as you grow us, as you raise us up. Lord, as we desire for all the old things to die, we can count them as loss. All those things we used to accumulate uh, to gain goodness, Lord, we want to count them as loss. Father, thank you for this song that, that tells us to remember, count it all as loss. Christ is gain. Father, we want to we wanna gain Christ and we want to continue to glorify his name in all that we do. So, Father, bless this time. May it be a sweet aroma in your nose, and may your people worship you even now as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so this is uh, probably one of my favorite passages, and it starts out really wonderful. It says, finally, I saw Tony. Tony was trying to go fishing. He said, finally, we're done. Woo! All right. Did anyone else get excited when they heard finally? We're done. Wrap it up. Let's call it. No? Tony was pretty excited. He was getting ready to punch out, head out, go to the lake. So it's Sunday, though. He'll probably go to work on the house. How's that coming along? Okay. So um, really, finally doesn't really mean finally as in, hey, I'm done. Now, it could mean that. We, we see instances thereof. And there, Okay, here's the amazing thing about this scripture. Um, there's so much debate over this little bitty word. Finally, right? Finally. You would, now, I can see the debate because, you know, when a pastor's been going on and on and on and on, and he says finally for the third time, anyone's wondering, okay, is this really finally, right? So, but here's what it, here's, so some things that it could mean. It could mean finally 
we're done, right? And it could be that Paul got a word and got excited and then wrote the second half of Philippians. That could be. It could be that we were looking back last week. Jason taught about Epaphroditus and, and the partnership between he and Paul and, and, and between Epaphroditus and those um, Philippians. I almost said Philistines. <laughs> so between the Philippians. And so that idea that... Um, he was looking back and saying, finally, hey, he, we thought he was dead. We thought he was going to die, but he's actually survived. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Those are the, kind of the next uh, words after that, right? Rejoice in the Lord, right? So it says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So it may be that he's just kind of saying, and in conclusion of all of that, Epaphrodite is going to come and see you. Let's rejoice in the Lord, okay? And it could be that it's, he's just changing gears here and moving on to the next topic. So with, without getting into the whole craziness and debate of that. That's simply the three things it could be, and really kind of fine with all of that. Does it, it doesn't really impact the text to the degree that the debate is. It's really a ridiculous bait over such a little word that impacts very little what's being said here. So um, it's exciting to see that finally we're going to rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul's saying here, it could be, it could be that we're going to talk about some things back in Philippians. Because in Philippians 1, we see that um, Paul has kind of brought up this whole idea of, uh, uh, in, sorry, Philippians 1, 27, 28, he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy to the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so there's kind of that, he's bringing that up, striving for the gospel. And so he may be saying, I'm going to teach you some of those things. But whatever he's going to teach again, hey, is it ever bad to go back to the beginning, to go back to basics? Is it ever bad to hear about how to be saved? Is it ever bad to hear about how I'm supposed to walk this out? Is that, is that, ever, is that ever a bad thing? No, it's safe for you. It's safe for me. It's safe for us. It also gives us courage in what we know and also helps us to remember what Christ has done for us. And so that helps kind of to reset the storyline for us and give us courage and hope to walk the, the extra mile. And so that's kind of what he's doing here. It helps us um, to remember what God has already said. It helps to build stability in our understanding in God's word. And it also helps to call us uh, so that we can know how to live and how to walk this thing out. All right, and so we're fixing to get to the meat of this. Um, the exciting part of this scripture is verse 2, uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, on down. It's, it's an incredible text. We talk about um, there's such a debate in this country today about things um, that are real and things that are true. In fact, if you mention truth, um, People get overly excited about, well, that's not really my truth, and that's not, that's not the truth I subscribe to. Here's what we see in God's word. There is a truth, and it can be known, and it is real, and it does change lives. And so Paul is going to tell us how we can know true believers from not true believers or from false believers, right? And so we're fixing to get into that. And he says here, and he's going to talk about some people who are evangelizing in the church who aren't, who aren't um, godly apostles. They aren't godly teachers. They're 
kind of false teachers, false prophets. And so as we see that, it says, look here. It says, now, the ESV kind of, kind of tames it down a little bit. It kind of waters it. It says, look out. See, in, in King James and also in the NIV, it says, beware. Beware. Beware of, for the dogs. Now, <clears throat> here in America, we have this really sweet idea of dogs and how precious they are. And, you know, we love our pets. We love our dogs. And how do we, what, what do you mean beware? I mean, what, are they pit bulls? What, I mean, even pit bulls, though, now are like, oh, we just love our pit bull. They're so sweet, right? And so we just get all excited about dogs. Well, this word here in the Greek is a different kind of dog. This, this word is kinaran, right? Or kinarian. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a Greek word that I don't know how to pronounce clearly, but um, in Matthew, Paul is, I mean, in Matthew, Jesus is talking about the pet, the family pet. And so if you look there, it says in Matthew 15, 26, it says, and he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now that dog's in the house and they're eating, right? So that's kind of the family pet. That's not this word here that Paul uses. Paul uses this word, kuon. It means street dog, vicious, vile, unhealthy, dirty, nasty, and sometimes they would even attack people in the streets. And the ancient cities uh, had a real problem with these pack animals that were running around their streets attacking people. Now, today, we have the same problem, not, not necessarily here in America, but we do have some of that. But you see it in like places like India, where they have these huge packs of animals, dogs that are, that are hunting people in the streets if they get hungry enough, right? And they have a pack mentality. The minute one hits, the rest hit. And so this is kind of what Paul is talking about. It says they're, they're, they are nasty animals, and they will attack you uh, if necessary, right? So then, and here's the thing, too. Jews would use this term to refer to Gentiles, those non-Jewish people. They would call Gentiles dogs, right? So anyone in here Jewish? I'm, I'm not slinging mud. I'm just saying that's, so we're all Gentiles then, right? And so we're the dogs that that they would be talking about. And here, Paul reverses the whole thing. Now, he's a Jew. This is really kind of crazy for Paul to say because he's, he's not just a Jew. He gives his laundry list here in a minute of the kind of Jew that he is, right? He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's the tribe of Benjamin. He's all of these things. And Paul uses this word on these Judaizers, these Jewish people who are coming and teaching these false things. He calls them dogs. In Deuteronomy 23.18, we see that the term dog is used even back here, and uh, in, in Deuteronomy 23, 18, it says this, You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. And so that's kind of, so does that kind of give you an idea of this term dog? It's an abomination to God, right? running at 90 miles an hour. I think I got a lot to say and a little time to do it. So here's the idea. Paul then refers to these Jews this way, and he says, um, so in thinking this, he says, um, are dogs unclean and filthy? So are the false teachers. Are dogs vicious and dangerous and to be avoided? So are the false teachers. So are all those who teach salvation by works. Do we have a problem with that today? Do we have a problem with that today in the church? Maybe not this church, but in churches, right? That's a problem in today's church. And so Paul's talking about that very thing. We have to be careful of that kind of false teaching. And in today's climate uh, of tolerance and diversity, that's not really 
um, looked upon, even in the church, that's not very nice to say, to, to call somebody out on that, to, to say that, man, you're, you're, you're teaching falsehood. It, we don't want to call people's attention to the false doctrine being teached among us. And so we have to be careful that in this, in this climate that we live in today, to not allow doctrine, theology, to be tainted or to be skewed so that we feel comfortable. Is, is life comfortable, y'all? Now, any, anyone here not struggling and it's just peachy keen all the time? Raise your hand. I need to get to rub some elbows there and get some of that on me. No, okay, I didn't think so. Life's tough. And, so, and it's okay when we don't agree. And it's okay to, to say to someone, hey, that's not scriptural. That's not how God called us. It's okay to call them out, especially if they're in a teaching spot. So if you ever hear me say anything that isn't scriptural or that you disagree with or that you have a problem with, come and see me. I'm fine with that. I'm okay with being called out. I, you know what? I've been wrong before, twice in my life. And when I got married, she let me know both times, okay? So thank you. Um, and that's, so, so we have to be careful with that very thought. Then the next thing, he talks about the dogs. Then he says, watch out for the evildoers. Typically, these evildoers are people who get involved in religious works. They like all the uh, ceremonies and the traditions and the, the rituals, the things that we do, the rote things that we do day in and day out, right? And so they're kind of in that, and they want to do the good things to please God. Um, I got a buddy of mine who, who uses the word uh, or the words... Um, padding the, the, the black. I want to pad the black so that, it, so that I don't get in the red in, in good, right? I want to make sure that my good column is really thick. I watch a guy on TV. Uh, he's a veterinary in, uh, in Denver. And uh, so his, his thing is, I, don't want to, I want to tip the scales of justice in my favor, right? So the scales, so it's always this idea of I can do more, I can be better, I can do good. I can do enough good even to tip the scales of justice in my favor and make it to heaven. Is that true? Can we, can we do anything to deserve heaven? No. no amen, right? No, emphatically. Uh-uh. Nope. Not going to happen. No, that's true. We can't. We have one thing in our favor, and his name is Jesus. <clears throat> so then, Scripture teaches very clearly that, it's, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, Wesley read it early for us. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? And so this, this idea that we can do anything is ludicrous. Then, okay, so if, if it was possible to do enough good, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die? If I could do enough good to get there, Jesus didn't need to die. And so it makes a mockery of who Christ is and what Christ did, right? And so we have to be careful with that kind of theology, that kind of thinking. So then he talks about the concision. Now, he kind of, the ESV kind of waters this down a little bit. Um, it says, well, not really. It says, uh, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So the word that Paul uses is kind of a, it's kind of a skew on the original word there for circumcision. So the, the word is peritome, that's circumcision. This word that he says mutilate is katatome. So it's kind of a, and, and it really means to mutilate, to cut the whole thing off, to emasculate oneself. Galatians um, 5.12, Paul says this, I wish those who unsettle you would just go and do the whole thing, would emasculate themselves, right? Just, you want to do these works, go all the way, right? 
We have that problem today with people who want to do these good works and when they want to put that on you to do all these things in order to get here. Instead, go all the way. You say you do that, go all the way. Don't, don't hold on to that. So I want to talk to you just a little bit. Um, this is kind of your science moment. This is where science and God's word come together. They mash up, and there's a really cool thing that happens here. We think about and we talk about circumcision. There's been, in the past years, there's been a big kind of uproar about circumcising our babies, right? This whole weird thing. And so what, what is, what's the point? Why do we do this thing? Well, first, let me tell you um, how we discovered uh, the the clotting mechanisms. Is there, are there any doctors in the house? Any nurses? Raise your hand if you're a nurse or a doctor. Nurses? Okay, so you kind of are going to get this real quick. Everyone else is going to be like, huh, that's pretty cool. So here's, here you go. Now, and I'm going to make this quick. I'm not going to labor this point a lot. Uh, 1930s, doctors Ham and Doisy found two blood clotting agents in the human body. Now that's vitamin K and prothrombin. Did I say that right? No. Okay, I messed that all the way up. Okay, thanks. And so um, and then in 1943, they got to share a Nobel, a Nobel Prize for medicine for that discovery. And so that helps to clot the blood. Now, here's the fascinating thing. You're thinking, okay, vitamin K, prothrombin. Everybody knows about that stuff. But here's what you didn't know. Vitamin K doesn't develop in the body of a baby, male baby, or any baby, till days five and seven, okay? And then prothrombin develops on day three, but only to 30% of its normal. And then on day eight, something crazy happens. It goes to 110% on day eight before it settles out to normal, to 100% of, of normal, right? Why is that important? Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Don't turn there, but understand this is what's happening in Genesis chapter 17. God comes to Abraham and makes this point. He says, there's going to be a new covenant. Today is a new covenant with you. Today, the covenant will be, I am your God and you are my people, and you will, for as a sign for that covenant, you will circumcise all male babies on the eighth day. And up to this point, you'll bring everybody current, right? So day eight was an important day. Now, here's what's crazy. That happened 4,000 years ago-ish. Day eight. We just discovered prothrombin and vitamin K 1930. Anybody? Okay, no one's amazed. You'll get this later. You'll be sleeping, taking a nap, be like, whoo, Jesus, all right? No, this is exciting, y'all. Science and God's word come together to give you truth. We already knew 4,000 years ago. We didn't know why we knew it, but God knew. He is miraculous. He knows your body inside and out before we even knew it. We discovered 1930, we're all like, give him a peace prize. Yay. What did God get? Eh, let's kill more babies, right? It's crazy how we do. But listen, God's word and science, science doesn't prove God's word. What does it do? What does it do? It reveals the truth that God already told us, right? God's word always confirms our science. It's incredible how that works. And so there you go, a little science moment for you. Maybe you're freaking out now. You'd never heard of, uh, you know, this circumcision thing and how weird it is. Uh, and so you should look that up sometime. It was just a weird thing. Anyway, um, that's a whole sidebar. Verse 3. <clears throat> Verse 3 says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit. Okay, so here's this thing. The Jews have had this circumcision happening in their, in their um, community 
for thousands of years, right? All this has been happening. They've been, this, this, this ritual has been the idea, and the idea hasn't been that you cut the foreskin. The idea is that you circumcise your heart, right? It's always been a spiritual. The circumcision is a physical sign. Hey, have we got physical signs from God before? Anybody? How about the rainbow? Huh? Does that, is, that, is, that the, is that the promise? No, that's the sign of the promise. How, how about, um, what's another one? Can you think of another one? Baptism. Baptism. Yeah, that saved people all the time, right? Get them wet, they're saved. In that case, let's drive in a rainstorm. Everyone's saved, right? We can, we, we can be of that uh, cult over there. What's it called? Um, yeah, anyway, we don't need to know about cults. But So there's this idea, right? That <laughs> there's this idea that God saves us, and getting wet doesn't do it. It's a sign. It's a signal. Listen, what do you do? What do you do with the thief on the cross if baptism? If baptism saves, how did he get saved? Oh, he's sweat. That's what it was. He sweat. And that, no, no, that didn't do anything. It's what happened to his heart. And he told it right away on the cross. He said, he says to the other thief, hey, this guy's done nothing. He's innocent. We're the guilty party. He has, Jesus hadn't done anything. Hey, I want to join you in heaven. And Jesus says to him, this day you'll be in heaven. Whoa, what? No circumcision, no baptism, no rainbow? So we get freaked out about stuff, right? And the world is constantly taking God's uh, signs and perverting them and doing things with them. That's the devil. The world has no idea. The devil is attacking us. So we need to understand that. We don't look at the world. We look at the devil and say, he's our enemy. The world, we need to love them and tell them the truth, right, in love and be conscious of that. It's an exciting time to be a Christian, don't you think? Two of you. Okay, we'll pray about that. All right, here's your little apologetics moment. Um, so the world has no idea about Jesus. They don't, know, they don't know about sin. They don't know why do I need. They hear Christians talk about it, but they think it's just kind of some cool buzzword, some kind of Christianese. We've got a whole language in, our, in this subculture, don't we? We call it Christianese. And we speak really cool words like sin and baptism. And they're really neat. But the world has no idea. Why do I need this? And so Psalms 51 says this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalms 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. What is that saying? That's saying you're born a sinner. And, And everyone in here... And the world says, what? How is a little bitty baby, how is that little cuddly thing a sinner? How did that happen? Well, let me ask, um, let me ask you, does your baby cry in the middle of the night for no reason whatsoever? Yeah. And did dad go in and pinch him? Nope. Did mom teach her to do that? Taught baby to cry, you know, just because. No, no one taught him that. They cried. And when mom goes in, takes baby up, the crying stops. There's no dirty diaper. There's no feeding. There's no nothing. It's just, I need some attention, right? Oh, and by the way, when they get a little older and they reach out and bite Junior from next door, Dad, you're a dog. Why did you teach your kid to bite? That's angry. No, Dad didn't teach your kid to bite. They just know to bite. See, they're born sinners. They want what they want, and if they don't get it, someone's getting bit. Anybody? Right? I mean, I do the same thing. If I don't get what I want, you're getting bit. I'm just saying, right? So don't come to lunch with me. Someone's getting bit. (laughs) 
It's important for us to recognize the world has no idea. And when we tell them truths, we have to show them where it is, not from Scripture, but from life. We show them Scripture, but they don't understand Scripture, show them life. See, we don't ever give up our starting point. Where's our starting point? It's the Bible. You guys are going to get on board here in a minute. You'll start answering these questions. It's okay. You can talk during church. That's fine. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's God's word. We don't give that up when we go to a fight. It, it, would be like, it would be like gangbangers dropping their guns and saying, okay, shoot them up, right? That's not, no, that doesn't happen. You don't, give up your, you don't give up your weapons. You go armed to a battle, right? Okay, we're going to pray about that too. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. I'm a smell. I got a bug. Um, so here's the deal. Circumcision is a great picture, right? Is an awesome picture of how badly our hearts are broken, Right? It's, it's an outward picture. It shows us how depraved we are. And we're totally depraved because we're born into it. That's what Scripture says. Psalms 51 and 58 tell us we are totally depraved from birth. Why is that? Where does that depravity come from? You have to go back to Genesis, right? Everything, listen, our foundation is Genesis. Go to Genesis, look it up. That something happened in the garden. It was terrible. Somebody ate something they weren't supposed to eat. And now we're all sinners, right? But the world doesn't know that. They don't understand that. And so we need, to, we need to be more aware of the gospel. And the full gospel is there's bad news first, then good news, right? Adam sinned. Jesus died. Now we're saved, if we'll accept him, okay? And so, sadly, circumcision used to... The symbol of it used to mean something happened in the heart. By Paul's day, it was completely a rote ritual. It didn't mean nothing. And, and, and people who tried to force that on the new Christians, these Gentiles and these Jewish Gentiles that were being saved, they were trying to push this ideology onto them that you gotta, you got to be circumcised and you got to keep the law, right? It means nothing. The, the circumcision happens in the heart. The heart, that the, the wickedness is cut away. And you can tell, here's the thing. When you get saved, you can tell immediately when something new is there, right? When God enters in, you have a desire to not do the wrong thing. And when you do the wrong thing, you immediately know, oh, man, I messed that up, right? You're, there's a check in your spirit. There's a check in your soul that says, oh, shouldn't have done that, right? And then there's repentance, Okay. Now, salvation doesn't mean we we never sin again, right? Is that what that means? Salvation means we never sin again. No, that, that's not what it means. We're going to sin, but because we're human. But it means we are more aware of it, and we try to do it less, and we seek God out, and we seek repentance, and He forgives, right? And so, as we work through this verse here, we see verse three says, "This is incredible stuff." For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, right? That's incredible stuff. We want to see that we have no confidence in what we can do. Paul, Paul's going to give us a, a recording here in a minute. It's incredible of the things he lost to gain. Have you ever lost anything to gain? Okay. 
Oh, yo, oh, sorry, I was looking down. I was expecting some noise. All right, so, um, so we go into verse 4. It says, though I myself have reason for confidence. Here we go. In the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. We're going we're gonna to look at these real quick. And so you, you, can see, you can see the rattle there. There are seven things that Paul lists that he was very confident in the flesh, right? So real quick, circumcised on the eighth day. Can you be saved? You can only be saved by grace. Circumcision doesn't save you. Grace saves you. Of the people of Israel, you're not born into salvation. How many people have you heard say, well, my dad's a deacon. My, my uncle was a pastor. My mom, deacon so-and-so church. My, my sister, eldered. There's always a reason that someone thinks that they're saved. Oh, I go to first church, right? I mean, there's always a reason they think because of these things, I was born this, whatever. That doesn't happen. Then it says of the tribe of Benjamin, you can't be saved by your credentials. So what if you're an elder? So what if you're a deacon? So what if you pastor? How many pastors have been saved in the past when the word of God finally hit them? They're teaching the word and the word comes back and does its perfect work. And they're like, whoa, I'm not saved. How many how many youth pastors have gone to youth camp leading kids to Christ and all of a sudden realizes, oh, I don't have Jesus. I need some of that. And they get saved. It's an incredible opportunity to watch God work. And then he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, I said that already. Um, Hebrew of Hebrews. Traditions can't save you. We have great traditions, don't we? Catholics have great traditions. Baptists have great traditions, like no dancing and no drinking. Those are great traditions, right? So, and so traditions can't save you. Then he says, as to the law of Pharisee, cannot be saved by religion. Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, none, none of those religions save you. None of those denominations can save you. So then there's a zeal, a persecutor of the church. Your sincerity can't save you. How many people do you hear say all the time, I sincerely believe, bleh, and they give you verbal vomit of what they believe, right? And, and people believe all kinds of things, right? Even sometimes contrary to their own beliefs. I believe this, then they believe that, and they they don't coincide. They're, they're at, at each other. They're, what do they call that? They collide. They don't work. They don't fit. They don't mesh. So your sincerity has no bearing on truth. You can believe all the craziness you want. It doesn't get you saved. So as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I was righteous and, I was, and I'm unblamed, right? Now, does that mean he didn't sin? Does he believe that? No, he doesn't believe that he wasn't a sinner. He believed he was a sinner. He just was doing it less and less all the time because of what God was doing in him. And so then it says, you cannot be saved by things you do outwardly. Outward things don't save you. <clears throat> Verse 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All right, so as we're looking... Here's where we start to see lasting satisfaction. Lasting satisfaction comes through loss. 
loss. So when Paul uses this word loss um, or rubbish, he uses it later in verse 8. He says rubbish. Rubbish is an interesting word. It's, um, uh, where is it at? I lost it. Scubulon, I think, is the word. It's a, it's a word that's, that is really harsh, actually. Um, it, it wouldn't be a word that you would use in the presence of children. Um, it, it would, it's, it's, a really, it's a really harsh. It means dung, manure, excrement. And, and those are nice ways to say what Paul is saying here. It, it's, it's rubbish, garbage, trash, filth. It's of nothing. So all the things he did, you know, um, we can think of all of the degrees, all of the um, community service, all of the f- money that we've donated, all of these things we've tried to do to gain um, a foothold, to gain a leg up on God so that we can earn our way. Paul says, I did all those things, and I found when I ran into Christ, when I had that experience on the road to Damascus, I discovered all of that was garbage. It was trash. It meant nothing. And so he, he delivers. He gets rid of it all. And now there's a... So in all of this, there's this new... And it's not new. For them, it was new. Second century Gnosticism kicked up this knowing of Gnosticism kicks up and it, and it tries to um, syncretize this Greek gnosis and Christian truth together, kind of tries to grow this new thing. And, they, and here's the thing that these new religions love to spout and tout. Um, we have special knowledge, special knowledge. It's more knowledge than normal average Christians. Normal average Christians don't know this because, well, they're not, they're not special. And so because we're not special, there's this whole knowing thing, right? And so Gnosticism made this huge heretical push in the early days. And I believe now it's trying to make a comeback. I believe now it's got the three major branches are heavy in California. We can find all three branches of Gnosticism hanging out there. And so these pagan cults are trying to make comebacks in the culture today. And we can see it in, our, in America. We can see the culture just diving uh, and failing. And so this truth is... Um, this special knowing isn't really there. What you need to know is already right here. Look here. It's right here. What you need to know is right here in this book. And what's in this book is true, absolutely. And it's inerrant, which means there aren't any mistakes in the original text. Do we have some in these new printed texts? Sure. Yeah. But nothing, anything of it, any of those errors, would be inconsequential. They would be names misspelled, John, J-O-N, J-O-H-N, whatever, inconsequential. It's an incredible um, book that gives us guidance. Everyone says, well, there's no book when I get this baby on how to raise them. Hold on, back up. This book right here tells you most of what you need to raise a baby. The rest of it is common sense. Feed your baby. Just saying. Make it change his diapers. There's some common sense stuff, guys. <laughs> but you want to raise a kid, right? Here you go, this book right here. Teach you everything you need to know. And so Paul lost a bunch of stuff. He said, I lost all those things. Let me give you some real quick things, five things that he gained. Here they are. Verse 9, he talks about righteousness. Right standing with God, acceptance by him. Jesus has made this possible by being our propitiation, a.k.a. our stunt double. You know what a stunt double is, right? All the hard stuff the actor doesn't do, 
Yeah, Jesus did the hard stuff that we couldn't do. There's no way we could die for our sin. We're not holy, we're not righteous, we're not pure. Jesus is, he fits the criteria. He is our stunt double, our propitiation. He stands in, took the cross, boom. We have righteousness attributed from him to us. It's not mine, it's his put on me because he died for me and I accepted that gift. Incredible. Power, we get power from we see power in Jesus when he is resurrected from the grave. Paul says, I get power, right, from a holy God who loves me, and that resurrected power I get instantaneously because Jesus lives in me. Not because of me, but because of Jesus in me, right? And then there's fellowship. Paul wanted real lasting fellowship with a holy God, all right? And he spent his time seeking how do I know him. And so the knowing part comes when something happens. He has a real communication with Christ. He can talk with him. He can walk with him. He can see him in the spirit. Not, he's not, he wasn't having weird visions. He can see the evidences of him all around, right? And so there's this knowing of Christ in your heart that changes everything. And so there's fellowship. And also knowing that Christ went through a lot of the stuff Paul was going through. He went through a lot of things you're going to go through or you've been through. So you can have fellowship with somebody who knows you intimately, who's been through the stuff you've been through and cares about those things. And then there's glory. Paul's going to get glory. We're going to get glory. There's a day we get glory. What day is that? The day we're resurrected. The day we die, then we're resurrected onto heaven. That's glory. And that glory is attributed directly to Jesus because he gave us that ability. Our bodies are glorified, and that glory goes to Jesus. It's incredible. So there's the lasting satisfaction that knowing that I'm a Christian, knowing that all this stuff that I give up on a day-to-day basis, I die to self, I die to my desires, I die to my new paycheck, all of that is to the glory of God, right? I count it as rubbish. Here's what I get. Now, if we don't do that to get that, that's just what happens. That's just fact of the matter, right? And so in conclusion, and this isn't a finally where we do another half of a sermon. I'm done. All right. <laughs> Lasting satisfaction comes from knowing that my salvation is real based on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And that's the whole of it. Matthew 19:20 says, the young man said, said to him, all these things I have kept what I, what I am still lacking, what am I still lacking? And that's the rich young ruler who's talking to Christ. And Jesus says, sell all you have and follow me. See, he thought he'd done everything right. He thought he had everything right. He'd done all the 10 commandments. Oh, that, oh, the 10. Oh, that's easy. I'm, I've done that. What else? Well, there's nothing you can do. It's give it all up. And follow Christ. Give it all up. Follow Jesus. Lasting satisfaction comes in knowing that I lack nothing because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, what Christ has done for you on the cross. No matter what you lose in this life, you'll gain in the next because Jesus loves us intensely. And he's already got a place for you. Hey, that house you lost last year in the crash? Hey, you got a mansion in heaven, huh? Okay, you're going to get excited later. I'm telling you, you're going to wake up and be like, woo! mansion. I'm excited about that. Okay. So it's important for us to know lasting satisfaction as Christians. That's how the world will recognize there's something different about these people. 
They have something I don't have. Life is hitting them hard. These particular people are being persecuted because of what they believe, and yet look at them. They're happy. They're excited. They're joyful. They, they're sharing what they don't have with me, and I don't have much, and they have even less. Why are they doing that? See, when we have lasting satisfaction, we're not concerned about what, what's next. We already know what's next. We're going to walk with Jesus.